Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vine Pairs Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. It's probably not the first thing that pops into most folks' minds when you mention the Vieux Carré, but this cocktail reminds me a little of the Shawshank Redemption, and more specifically, it recalls that movie's place in the Best Picture category at the 67th Academy Awards. We're talking about one of the best movies of all time here, a no-brainer in any other year. But on March 27th of 1995, Shawshank comes up against Pulp Fiction, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Quiz Show, anyone remember that one? And Forrest Gump, which ultimately walks off with the award. Talk about tough field, huh? And that's kind of the state of affairs for the Vieux Carré in its hometown of New Orleans. I'd wager that if this cocktail was devised in practically any other city, it's guaranteed to be the most iconic drink in town. But in the Big Easy, I can think of at least four other drinks that likely sooner come to mind and may well be more beloved than the Vieux Carré. But don't worry, the hand grenade isn't one of them. Ultimately, who cares though, because the Vieux Carré is a banger. And I was so happy when today's guest suggested we talk about this one because it was a great excuse to mix one up at home and sometimes you do need those excuses or reminders. Our conversation also taught me a lot about the Vucare's symbolism as a drink, what it truly says about New Orleans. That guest, by the way, is Mimi Burnham, an absolute legend of New York's bar scene who's been fixing drinks in the city for decades. These days, you'll find her consulting for independent bars and restaurants, creating original cocktails for the biggest brands in the spirits industry, and hosting COVID-born virtual bartending sessions. If you do catch her behind the bar, though, as I was lucky enough to on a recent occasion, prepare to marvel as she runs rings around her fellow bartenders and slings out some of the best drinks you've ever tasted. If you're smart, you'll order a Vucare. I have no idea to this day, listener, those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are best left unsaid, but I'd like to think they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words, like the marriage of cognac, rye, benedictine, bitters, and sweet vermouth. Maybe even just the sweet sound the Cocktail College Podcast. New Orleans, if you will, for the locals. Um, and I'm going to kick us off right now by saying we are in the Vine Pear studio and we are joined today by Mimi Burnham. Mimi, thank hey. you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on this glorious day here in the Big Apple. It is, uh, well, you don't want to see it out there right now. <laughs> it's a wee wet. <laughs> it's a little bit wet. It's a tad wet. But you know what? You know what always helps raise the spirits is a good conversation about a classic cocktail. Indeed. And we are, as has been the case for many episodes before this and for many drinks, we're headed directly to New Orleans to explore the Vieux Carré. Love it. What a drink. Just a fabulous, really misrepresented and underappreciated drink, cocktail. I'm, I'm thinking that's not going to be the case after our conversation today. Hey, here's hoping. <laughs> <laughs> Change some lines. So let's, yeah, let's take a, let's a, take a trip down there. Let's, let's go to New Orleans and let's dive into primarily here the history, first of all of the Vucare. Can you tell us about that? Is this one of these drinks that we know something about it? And what can you share with us today about the, the origins of this drink? So it's got an interesting um, origins. It's about 1937 was its first recorded cocktail recipe, if you will, um, from the Hotel Monteleone, the infamous Hotel Monteleone with its carousel bar. Now, this is before the carousel bar actually got installed. So before that was the head bartender, um, Walter Bergeron. And he came up with this beautiful blend 
of a magnificent cocktail, clearly influenced by the golden era of cocktail making from 1880s pre-Prohibition, you know. And, of course, this is like just about four years after Prohibition ended. Um, there was, you know, the disastrous economy. It was just, you know, awful, the Great Depression. F- maybe five years earlier, FDR finally got elected president. So there was hope, you know. Finally, there was hope. It was Everybody was turning a corner. So Walter came up with this drink, which I found was really neat, is that he wanted to reflect all the ethnicities in the quarter, in the French quarter. Mm-hmm. So that is thoroughly represented in this, in this cocktail because he chose the rye, or whiskey, because that could be, you know, synonymous mm-hmm. for the Americans, and then cognac for the French influence, um, as well as the Benedictine as well, because there's a lot of uh, French influence in the French Quarter. Yeah, the name, right? <laughs> uh, sweet vermouth for the Italians, and then the choice of bitters, interestingly, with Peychaud's bitters and Angostura bitters, was for the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Uh, representation in the community, which is, you know, tenfold. Correct? And Peychaud's just having this wonderful kind of deep, deep roots and great history in New Orleans as well. We've yep. kind of, we, we have done a little bit of a deep dive on that before. I think that might have been in the Sazerac episode, another great New Orleans drink. Magnificent. Mm-hmm. It's funny when you were talking through there, just uh, the, the first point about rye and whiskey. Don't think we've ever brought this up on the show though, but I've got a bit of a bone to pick with Don McLean. How are we drinking whiskey and rye? Right. Exactly. Is Don McLean Canadian? You know, I... I <laughs> because I think... Makes, no, well, actually, no, sorry. Rye is a synonym for whiskey in Canada. So right. they definitely don't appreciate the song either. They're on my side here. Yes. No, they're, they, you know, there is... It's a very vague, like, it's just a concept. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems to be an interminable, changeable word. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of really, you know, grossly wrong. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, but, yeah. And sorry for taking us off track there, but it, no. it did immediately just come into my head. I was like, yeah, this is something that's always bugged me. Yeah. You know, it just stands for reason. I think it's easy to say, like, people mm-hmm. like rye. Yeah, whiskey know? and rye worked for this song. Worked for the whole, you know. One syllable. Yeah. <laughs> works. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so obviously, as you mentioned there, so the rye whiskey here... Um, Again, finds its finds its place in many classics from New Orleans, but representing the Americans there, cognac Benedictine for the French, sweet vermouth for the Italian, bitters. We're going to get into all of those. Um, I think one thing that I was wondering myself is just where this cocktail places today, because if it's invented there, or I'm sorry if I, I've cut you short on any of the no. history, but if not, if we can fast forward to the future. Is this a drink you'll come across on menus? Are people ordering it? What's what's the status of it? Occasionally, I mean, it's known as a sipper, you know, because it is a, a spirit-forward cocktail. It's stirred, not shaken. And, um, you know, it's got a little punch. It packs a punch. <laughs> There's no doubt. <laughs> but it's very smooth, and hence part of the, you know, scary aspect of it, if I will, as a responsible adult, because it goes down really smoothly. Yeah. But it's a delightful cocktail. It's it's just like a velvet carpet ride, you know, mm-hmm. a party in your mouth, if you will. <laughs> and uh, I love it so. And occasionally you see it on, on menus. And when I do, I'm very excited because I know that there's skill behind the bar and there was great effort made to find um, the menu placement. And, mm-hmm. you know, that to me is a, is a ter- terrific nod. Yeah, it's a great sign that the bartender, the person that's come up with that menu, cares about this drink and yeah. has, has put some work into perfecting it as we will today yes 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 and of a little side note of the history of this too you know there was pressure to come up with new drinks this is the hotel Monteleone. Yep. you know there's competition right the restaurants are starting to pick back up because the depression was kind of waning more money was going into pockets so the french quarter was was happening there was um restaurants like one specifically la louisiane that doesn't really exist anymore but it was a very big um beautiful grand place and there was a guy named um diamond jim brady you know a very they made a movie about him and he came up with a variation of love your carrie called a la louisiane yes yeah so it is just his own spin of because you know walter was doing really well with this drink at monteleone bar so they were all you know scampering to the monteleone to have this vieux carré so Diamond Jing came up with this. It's, that's such a fascinating point that you make there in terms of wanting to come up with something new because that exists throughout time, right? If you yeah. if you go to you know bars these days, you want to try the classics, but you also want to see the drinks they're coming up with. Old fashions might be now timeless and trendy again, but 
probably at this kind of time, you know, that was an old fashioned drink. You want something that's new. And it's it's weird to think of a time where the Vucare does feel new just because it seems like such a classic formula. Right. And and really, I think of its origins, you know, if I could have been there at that time when it, we were drinking it at the bar, um, I'll bet that it tasted old, you know, because there's clearly great influence on the golden era style of cocktail making in this particular build. Yeah. There's no doubt. This is a tremendous nod to that movement, which, you know, the times, the 13 years of prohibition kind of wiped out. Mm-hmm. So, he, you know, he was trying to reclaim that space. And mm-hmm. I, I can admire and respect that greatly for the head bartender. And I think one one other thing to note, too, is this is a very democratic drink when it comes to rye and cognac, because, you know, we see these debates in other classics from, from that city where people are saying, should it be rye or cognac? Let's use both. Right. I mean, why not? Split, <laughs> split base. You know, that's what we call it now. It's got this new fun term. <laughs> Let's reinvent cocktail terminology. So um, I hear all the kids saying it, split basing. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. Um, so <laughs> this is a split base cocktail. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is actually the blueprint for a split base cocktail. Wonderful. Um, and uh, on that new term- terminology, I can't leave this moment without asking you, um, are you familiar with the Regal Shake? Yes. <laughs> We, we could have a whole session about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm glad that it seems like from, from, from those, those words alone, I think we're on the same page with that one. Indeed. Uh, I think people are regal stirring these days as well, too. I've, I've yeah. recently discovered. <laughs> God help us. <laughs> but uh, you did mention there, you did mention before, I think, a word you, you use specifically, velvety. Um, I'm keen to hear what you're looking for if someone's making a great version of this. That's a texture, but also, you know, there's five pretty prominent ingredients in this are pretty strong, um, pronounced ingredients. So what are you looking for? Are, are you looking to taste each one of them or is it just a case of balance? What would you expect? There's a certain harmony that comes from this specific cocktail. Um, a lot of it is equal portions depending on the spirit that you're using, you know. So the harmony comes from... You know, the vermouth not being too pronounced, the Benedictine not being too pronounced, but everybody, all these little fun flavors, the spiciness of the rye, the pepper, you know, and the, dare I say, honey, you know, heat aspect of the cognac, just all blending in together. You know, it's harmonious and fun, like they play well together, which is really important and a tricky combination for most of us modern bartenders when we're pressured to make new cocktails for menus. This mm-hmm. is what we look for is balance. Yeah. You know, we need the balanced cocktail. And this is just a perfect example. So once you master this cocktail, it is very much a blueprint to go forward and, you know, the world is your oyster. Once, yeah. you, once you get the flavor concept and how they all play together. Nice. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into those ingredients. And yeah, let's start with uh, with Don McLean's favorite here, the rye. Um <laughs> You know, I, it, it's it's something we've spoken about before, but this whole idea of, you know, when you look at a drink that's from 19, you know, 1930s or even earlier, rye was different then to, to how it is now. Yep. Um, when rye made a resurgence in this country in, in recent years, thanks very much to the bartending community, a lot of those were being made in Kentucky and maybe weren't, didn't quite have that spice as, as it did historically. Um what are you looking for? What style of rye are you looking for when you're you're making this drink yourself? You know, it's funny. I'm uh, of a modern bartender. I'm not a tremendous fan of overproof spirits. However, because there's always exceptions because this is life, I, I do make an exception um, with overproof rye for particular cocktails. Okay. In this case, I would use an overproof rye for the Vrio Carré specifically. Not, I would go, you know, with the 100 proof, like typically a Rittenhouse rye. You know, or even the wild turkey rye, which is, you know, really rather good. Yeah. But dare I, you know, I really need to give a nod to um, Alan Katz at New York Distilling because he, you know, with this new spirit category of Empire Rye from New York State, which is the Horton Rye strand from when Thomas Jefferson planted it, you know. Yeah. And that's all making a comeback thanks to Cornell, who kept this, you know, hybrid rye. So that's all going to start hitting shelves, I think, in the next, like, short year yeah and that's going to be really neat because it has to you know basically it's it's bottled and bond it has to be grown new york state grown rye it has to be manufactured distilled everything in new york state i think it could be aged out of state okay it's the only thing that or bottled out of state there's some weird you know i'm not super specific about the uh, empire state 
rye category, but it's an exciting time because it's a brand new spirit category. Yeah. And that hasn't happened in a really long time. And when it comes to the mash bill of that, is that, are, are we talking a hundred percent or are we Pretty talking close, like 90%? It's very 90%, peppery. I was yeah. there in the, in the beginning and, um, it was really neat to watch. As a matter of fact, you know, the Russells from Wild Turkey yeah. were working with Alan. I was there. And it's just neat because, you know, pockets have no coffins, kids. You know, <laughs> we can't take this information with us. My God, we have to share. You know, yes, I, everybody has to, you know, make money, of yeah. course. But we have to share, you mm -hmm. know. And it was really a beautiful moment to watch. Like this, just, you know, everybody joining together to create this new spirit category. And it's really peppery forward. Like you really yeah. get those pepper notes. And that's what a rye should be. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I'm saddened to see some of these ryes that are like, you know, trying to disguise themselves as bourbons. Like, mm -hmm. you know, stand on your own. You know, be proud of your individuality. Yeah, for sure. And I think... That's something that I've noticed over the past couple of years as I see a lot of new distilleries, maybe smaller ones, mm -hmm. enter the category that where where when it comes to rye in particular, we really are tending towards those higher percentages of rye in there. And I think yeah. it's incredible because it does have this wonderful character, which like you say, if you're only using 51% of it in the mash bill, right. it's kind of just like a bourbon really, right? Yeah, you know, a bourbon with like a slight little kick. It's like, yeah. you know, don't be a scared rye. <laughs> you know, be proud of who you are, rye. Stand mm -hmm. up. Yeah. So, but but you're you're specifically looking for that proof. So you say overproof, but you're talking uh, hundred proof. Hundred proof. Yeah, that's the sweet spot for you for this particular build. And why why is that specific? And old fashions. Those are the two. I think this the sippers, the spirit forward cocktails. That works for me. And it's funny because I'm not necessarily there for a Manhattan personally. Okay. I'll like, I'll take an 86 proof rye for, um, you know, or bourbon for a Manhattan. I, I swap. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't like to be put into any category myself. So, <laughs> you know, it's what mood am I in? But yeah, the over the hundred proof, um, you know, just stand up well. They, yeah. they play well in these kind of builds because there's a lot going on when we go through the specs. You yeah. know, it's, there's a lot going on. So it's. So. Next one there would be uh, next ingredient. Let's 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 head to France. Let's go to cognac here, yes. and let's be honest. For, from the get go, we're not really going to be blessed with much options when it comes to proof there, right? Like nope. most of them are eighty eighty six, yep. right? Right, right, pretty much on the button there. Yeah, and that's fine. Yeah, so we're looking more age instead. Yeah, and you know that isn't you know don't feel like you have to spend a lot of money to buy a bottle of cognac for your personal bar or even back bar in your establishment, that's not necessarily uh, where it's at. It's really about what flavor pleases you. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's funny because there's so many, you know, there's plenty of cognacs out now. We, as Americans, haven't really been making cocktails with them. Right. But thanks to, like, my good buddy, Miss Frankie Marshall, you yep. know, who has been at the forefront of this for a long time with her knack attack, you know, it's a great thing because... Finally, and, and look, like Walter was trying to do something about this in 1937, you know, and we've been spinning our wheels. So we're a little late to the party, but here we are. So great moment as t time is such to uh, embrace cognac and not just for sipping after dinner. Yep. You know, having it, building, using it as a part of your um, cocktail builds. And rediscovering, yeah, these classics. Yeah. I mean, there's just like, you know, you could go with the VS, you know, or an XO and you don't have to spend a crazy amount of money. You know, it's it's okay, you mm -hmm. know, and you really just need to, you know, buy maybe some of the smaller bottles and taste them because they are so radically different. Yep. Each brand is incredibly different, even though it's all pretty much the same, but it's not. It's how it's aged and, you know, how it's treated and the grape and the build and where does it come from in the specific region of France. And, you know, that's a whole session in and of itself. But yeah, you need to find the cognac. I like I like them just in the middle spot. Like I don't want them um, to be too boldly flavored but i don't want them to be too under flavored either mm -hmm. you know just because I, I really am looking for that fine grape somewhere right down the middle yeah yeah i'm i'm i'm, I'm of the xo actually for this cocktail build which is nice. kind of funny yeah but as you mentioned there yeah like age is one component of it but definitely different houses have different styles if i'm going to completely oversimplify things we're talking like maybe light fruity and floral versus more decadent like you say dried fruits dried nuts and right yeah. toffee you yeah. know sometimes you get leather yeah, notes yeah, yeah. like really musky notes you know those are fine and well but you know be clever about what you're doing here because it's like like i said just find something in the middle of the road that's really a good bottle to have in general because you're more adaptation with it and there are those bottles out there uh that 
seem custom designed for bartenders and, and cocktail creation, right? Like some brands have done a great job of that. And I think those ones, in my mind, do land right down the middle, like you're saying, profile they wise. They do. They do. And they know. They know what we need. Yeah. You know? And that's that's helpful. And it's really nice. It's a nice nod to us bartenders. Yeah. Just, you know, always bringing, bringing things back and pushing things forward. The yes. bartending community. We try. <laughs> <laughs> so third one here, sweet vermouth. Ah. Such a lovely thing. So, you know, Sweet Vermouth, as, you, as you've seen in the past three years, has grown radically in America, finally. Yeah. The aperitivo hour, you know, is is a real thing now. And everybody's embracing lower alcohol per volume. That's like the hottest new trend, right? You would tell me best, I think, here at Vine Pair. You guys are well aware of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So with, um, I'm French, so I've always drank vermouths and sherries, you know, and I'm a fond of all of them. But it's funny because I like to make um, my own personal blend. Ooh, and that's just the thing I've always done. First, it came from um, running bar programs in Manhattan and having leftover, you know, because as soon as you open up a bottle of vermouth, you put it in the refrigerator. Please, for the love of God, do not leave it out. It's only, you know, it's seasoned wine, if you will, to put it in a basic mm -hmm. component. Okay, so it's not super stable. It's only 11% alcohol. It starts oxidizing quickly. Okay, so left in room temperature, it's going to oxidize within four days. In the refrigerator, it's you could have like two or three weeks. Yeah. Okay, I like to buy the smaller bottles. Yep. Out of practice. Pro tip. Yeah, just because it's like nice, you know, and seamless, and I have fresh vermouth that way. But when I ran when I run bar programs, I'd have maybe two or three different brands of vermouth, red vermouth, say, open at any given time, and I'm like, uh oh. So I would start blending them. Yeah. And making a house blend. And it kind of came organically just to like please the owners, you know, like, look, you know, it's, there's no loss. You, can, you know, please feel free to buy more vermouth, you know. And it was really neat because then it became like a signature thing. And it, it's not just, you can't just throw it all together. You do have to take some care, you know. And I do like, um, personally, I like um, the Di Torino Rosso from Campari. Mm. It's expensive, you know, yeah. 1750. So it's an expensive um, vermouth. So I like to use 40% of that. And then 50% of Martini and Rossi. You nice. Know, real basic. Yeah. <laughs> but Nice this, workhorse there. You know, it just punches. Like, they, they work well together. And it doesn't have to be those specific brands. But, you know, maybe you have some Carpano Antico, which also is expensive. Yes. You know, go 30% with that. Because that one's really rich and heavy and sweet. I, I was going to say, yeah, that can overpower as too well. Too much. Too much. And that also was part of how I found the cocktail builds on our menus, why a house blend was good. Because... Carpano Antico became like this bartender favorite out of nowhere, but it was just so heavy and it was yeah. overtaking cocktails. And I think a wonderful way as well, just to personalize these classics without straying from the, without straying from the formula, right? Like right. To, to have your own blend in there. That's very cool. It's cool. And you could brag about it on your menu and it's kind of neat Yeah. because then for those vermouth drinkers, they're going to have something incredibly unique that drink it on the rocks, mm -hmm. say before dinner with the twist. So you could do that with your white vermouth. You could do it with your red vermouth. You know, start playing with it. Don't throw it out. Don't give. Kitchen can use to cook it. Sure, yeah. that's fine. You could make, you know, shrubs out of it too, or vinaigrettes. But this is really clever. I think vermouth is also like wildly underutilized in the kitchen. Yes. Um, I, I've written about that somewhere. You can search that. But uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely am of that opinion. Also. I, I, I've done some tastings personally, whether it's sweet vermouth for, you know, um, Manhattans or dry vermouth for martinis and, you know, ultimately trying to find out what's the best. And really the answer is it just depends on the drink that you want, but they do have this. They're, they're all very, they're all very unique. So this oh, is yeah. a cool approach. It's just neat. It's fun. It makes it your own. Yeah. You know, so that's, you know, you don't have to be in a commercial establishment. Do it for yourself. Well, I know what I'm doing later on today. That's, this is Bingo. perfect. I'm making my own vermouth blends. <laughs> I don't see why not. Um, <laughs> But you are just just as a as a quick mention. Maybe this is more the 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 the, the driver mooth category. But you are looking more at those kind of legacy classic brands versus. I think there there has been a trend for. I see some you know wine producers out on Long Island making these wonderful vermouths, even more aromatic, right? Even more flavored than normal ones. But yes. I've struggled with those in cocktails personally. Is, yes. that, is that something you find too? Yeah, so like Channing, I think. Yes. Speaking, right, so, you know, I was there at the beginning when they started doing that and they were just using like what was left over on the farm. Yeah. So each batch tasted different. So for uh, buying commercially, I couldn't do that because right. it was too inconsistent. But if you are a, a vermouth drinker, it was kind of delightful. But it was, you can only do these things like straight vermouth or an Americano, you know, with club soda. Yeah. 
Um, my friend Corey does um, Method Vermouth. You know, they came up. We worked together at Porchlight. Corey oh, and I, right. So we, you know, he's my he's my big older brother, my twin brother. Yeah, we, he's like <laughs> nice. seven feet tall. I'm like five foot two. Yeah. So we look like we were related, not really, but um. <laughs> so, you know, his method of making vermouth was coming from a bartender aspect. So that I revered because yes. he's very consistent. The flavor is really good. It's New York grown um, mm-hmm. spices and blends and, and 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 grapes. Yeah, from the Five Finger Lakes. So I think that yeah, I think that's great. I am all for bartender led vermouths. You know, specifically yeah for 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 these uses. Um, but they do get too. Some of them get too kooky. I'm with you, and yeah. they're just not. I can't use them in a cocktail. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's not what I'm looking for. Exactly. You know, I appreciate your you know your zeal if you will but and that's and it's lovely but it mm. should almost become a new category it's like these it's like these wild new gins but um that's, yeah. that's one for a different day those crazy kids <laughs> um next one definitely the first time we've spoken about this on this show benedictine so ah. what is it what's it bring into the drink let's yeah tell us all about it okay so there's two variants of benedictine which often are misunderstood so Benedictine D.O.M. is the original liqueur, the spirit. It dates back to 1510. It's really strong origins. Of course, monks made it from an, an mm. abbey in Normandy. They know a thing or two about spirits up there. They make Calvados. Yeah. Okay? So, you know, wow. they've got it going on. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the time frame, 1510, that's, you know, some they've, <laughs> they've got some lineage there. Yep. You know, things very similar to the time frame of Chartreuse. You yep. know, same. Like yeah. the monks were making the, the good spirits. So somehow, some way, I don't exactly know when, um, they decided to add um, brandy into the Benedictine, which is like 21 different, I think it's 20 plus herbs and spices. Mm-hmm. It's a very neat botanical blend. You know, nobody knows them all, just like yeah. this, the mystery of Chartreuse. You know, same, same, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. But it's a delightful liqueur that's underappreciated greatly because of its strong um, floral notes and herbal notes. So somehow somebody decided to add brandy to it, I think maybe in the 70s, you know, the dark ages of mixology, as we call it. <laughs> and uh, uh, some salesperson for Benedictine, well, let, let's do B&B. We're going to call it B&B. And hence, you know, this was the beginning, you know, so this is, it's, it, is, it is Benedictine, but with brandy. So it is not, they are not swappable at all, because what they did was cut down the beautiful lushness of the herbs and the spices that, you know, there's saffron in there in, in the, in the, wow. yeah, I mean, it's really neat. Some of the, they won't say everything, but there's angelica root and saffron. We know that for sure. Yeah. And honey that's from hives that are on site, you know, so this is like, there's great care, you yeah. know, so let's respect that of the origins of the 1510. Oh my God. You know, like, <laughs> I'm not going to mess with that. These you know, monks. I don't know. Who, I don't, yeah. And I don't know what's the, how they got away with making that B and B it's lovely. I'm yeah. not, I'm not shaming it, but you know, it's not, they're not swappable. So that's not the one. If that's the bottle that you come across, be like, okay, you understand what it is now, but yes. it's the Benedictine that's, that, that you want. It's a cordial. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So you can drink that after dinner. That's fine. But you know, getting the Benedictine DOM is very, specific and the bottle it looks incredibly different you, know, you could tell it's grander the dom comes from um the motto of the benedictine monks you know so it's it's very it, you could see like the seal it's really grand mm-hmm. it took me a little bit to find some actually I, you know we'll talk about that later but i had to search really hard i finally found it at aster yeah I mean, if you're in New York here, yeah, Astor's just, yeah. that's the place to go. They've but it's got, not common. Got, you understand? No. I, had a, I had a hard time sourcing it. But And that's something that's interesting, too, because this is this is a named ingredient in this drink, and we're talking about one brand, right, one producer. One. There's, n- there's nothing interchangeable here. There's no, no substitute that you can do. It's, it's you know, nope. yes or yes. That's it. It's got to be Benedictine. And I'm going to tell you, it's got to be <laughs> Benedictine's really neat because you can have it in a little hip flask, you know, um, in the winter and it's delightful. Yeah. There's something about it, you know, in a cold, maybe at a baseball game, you know, when it's a little chilly, let's go Mets. Um, and, you know, <laughs> you could just have a little pop and it's delightful. Like it's really, really, it's just a beautiful, underappreciated spirit. That's, so that's something else to add to my shopping list today later um, on where I'm buying my vermouth <laughs> to make my blend. Yes. Yeah, a shame to say. I think I do have like a little vial of uh, uh, of Benedictine at yes. home, but I've been using it for some cocktails. So yeah, I need to invest in that. You in should. Bottle. It won't go bad, you know, no. because it's a very stable spirit. And so does it have some sweetener in there too as honey. well? So oh, the honey. So that's just, that's you know, that prolongs everything. Yep. Yep. And it's just, you know, 1510. 
they know what they're doing. Yeah. Leave it on your shelf. Try it. Sure. Fine. <laughs> I, lo- I love the idea that, you know, in some marketing department or office in the 70s, they were like, you know what? We've been doing this now for 460 years, but right. you know, I think we can improve on it. I think we can make this better. Can you believe <laughs> the audacity? Oh, the 70s. I know. Um, final, final component here, but perhaps maybe a number of ingredients. I've got it down just as bitters. What's Aye. classic and what's your preference here? Yeah, so um, Peychaud's bitters is, you know, mm. priority number one. So it's a Creole bitter, right? We've had, you know, pretty much everybody knows what Peychaud's is. If they don't, please Google it. Get, get knowledge because it's an important, you know, very important bitter. <laughs> and the combination of Angostura um, regular bitters, the you know, the basic bitters from yeah. Angostura. It's funny how we use both. I think um, there's, you know, really you're doing double the amount of pay shots to um, the Angostura aromatic bitters um, with the yellow cap. So you're only using um, two drops of those to four drops of the pay shots. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing. We just like it's almost like um, sun and earth, if mm-hmm. you will. Yeah, it's grounding the bitters. You know, yeah. it's just giving it like a little more complexity. And again, just another maybe just a nice little nod of the cap to New Orleans here as well. You know, this is the cocktail celebrates the city, and it's also from the city. So the, yeah, let's give it a little bit more prominence there to the yeah. the pay shows. That works for me. Um, I want to dive now into ratios because we were having a little chat before this and and I was mentioning how sort of as always before before you know coming onto this recording with you I was looking at different recipes online and I think this may be the classic where it's very hard to find consistent recipes even among like very reputable sources so yeah let's let's dive into that what can you tell us about the the proportions for this drink yeah, so let's talk about the ratios and how interestingly, you know, if you just go and search on the internet at different websites that, you know, I admire and respect and how incredibly different <laughs> the ratios yeah. are for this cocktail. Yeah. So that just says a lot right in and of itself, okay? Um, it goes everywhere from quarter ounce, you know, equal measurements of the Benedictine cognac rye and and um, then only a quarter ounce of vermouth, you know, it to all the way to like the International Bartender Association, who I admire and respect greatly, and they're kind of like the blueprint in my world. You know, that's like you know they're the ones. This is the standard. The official cocktail. Yeah, if the you official will, of the world. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> and um, they are incredibly large. They have it at thirty milliliters, which is like a little over an ounce of uh, the rye cognac and sweet from with all equal measurements. And I'm like, wow, like. <laughs> that's not it, you know. That's not like a fun drink anymore. I think that's gonna like plow you under the table. Yeah, you know, I'm a little surprised that they felt that that was okay. That's interesting. It's very bizarre to me, and they're only using a bar spoon of Benedictine, which really is one eighth of an ounce. If you really want to get super technical, mm-hmm. you know, thereabouts. And um, I'm a little bit surprised by their ratios. You know, they also don't even include Angostura bitters. Interesting. So they're just only Peychauds. Two dashes of Peychauds. They also include an orange twist and a cherry and have it served up in stemware in a cocktail glass. Where everywhere else, we're serving it on the rocks. Yeah. Which is kind of my preferred method. Yeah. See, Diamond Jim Brady wanted to be different than Walter by putting, serving his La Louisienne in up in mm-hmm. a cocktail glass, okay, with a maraschino cherry. And Walter's, you know, was served um, on the rocks with a lemon twist. No cherry. This okay. is this is interesting. I, yeah. I, I really wonder what, why they went so off-piste there when it's it comes to It's a little bizarre. So I, I looked at Difford's Guide, which is another yeah. good place to source, you know. And they were a little bit more, really, in my realm, um, they were, you know, pretty spot on with their three-quarter ounce straight down the line of equal, you know, equal portions of bourbon, um, Remy Martin Cognac, which is what I like too for mm-hmm. this particular build, and Sweet Vermouth, and a third of an ounce of Benedictine. I like 10 milliliters, so I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, 0.33 of an ounce. But I could go with this. And they have Peychauds and Ango, but mm-hmm. they um, only have two dashes of Peychauds and one dash of Ango when I go four dashes of Peychauds and two Ango. Interesting. But, you know. It is notable, though, that you mentioned there, too, that they're using... Uh, I, I've seen that recipe, and they go bourbon instead of rye. That's correct. That's right, isn't it? Which is weird, too. But, you know, is it weird? No, because, see, the adaptation of this cocktail is great. Yes. 
And I think that in the 30s, we weren't really paying as much attention to new cocktails, you know, right, that were happening that end up becoming classics mm -hmm. because they were happening in a moment of time that was a little bit um, sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> <Worldwide>. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was a dust bowl happening and it was, like you know, the worst possible depression ever known to mankind. And, you know, the war was coming, right? World War II was coming. So there was a lot of fascism happening. And there, you know, it was dark days, you know, even mm -hmm. though everybody's like, okay, FDR and the New Deal, you know, we're going to be fine. But I wonder if... Um, these things weren't written down really mm -hmm. properly, you know, categorized and, you know, immortalized, if you will, in, in, in proper um, books, you know. I mean, I'm sure that there is a book with Walter Specks in it. I haven't yeah. done that deep of a recon. I'm more, um, my collection of, of cocktail books are more of the golden era from, you know, 1880s to 1910. Nice. That's what I have in my personal library. So I'm a little bit weak on um, the 30s, yeah. you know, the pre-World pre, pre -World War II I think there's there's also just on that and you know like on that difference recipe, maybe it purely comes down to as well when when he was immortalizing his own Simon Difford right because we yeah. might we maybe assume that maybe this was a dark during the dark ages for rye which yeah you know hard enough to get a good quality bottle here in the states but they're based over there in the UK so maybe yeah. it was nothing was coming over and they were like actually the quality of bourbon's better and and makes a better drink at this point right like I maybe can understand that and I can respect that greatly because I think that you're absolutely right I think that there was probably a dearth yeah and and and, and a great chasm of like <laughs> not quality right you know yeah. it's not Seagram seven no that's not I'm sorry Canada but it's not yeah. rye and um you know this was a, a reality so he went with the bourbon i agree yeah yeah i'm sure that maybe did factor into that there um so just to to go over this again so your specs would be three quarters rye three quarters cognac three quarters sweet vermouth it could be a third uh benedictine but you prefer 10 milliliters if you're going yeah what's that metric <laughs> yes yes sorry um and then you would go four to four to two dashes of peixotes to angostura correct amazing stirred so now can you describe us as if you were making that drink here in front of us? Can you can you give us uh, an explanation of how you would do that and perhaps also maybe sharing any techniques when it comes to um, ice along the way sure. or any quirks that you have when it comes to stirring? Absolutely. So um, I'm of the school where I add my quality ingredients first. I know that's very shamed these days. Everybody's mm -hmm. putting the cheap stuff in first in case you make a mistake. But you know what? I live on the edge. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to respect, um, you know, my cocktail and I grab who's the star of the show and they get first yeah. nods, right? They get first nod. That's just me. Personal choices aside. So I like to build it with um, the rye and then the cognac and then Benedictine and then the um, sweet vermouth. I, I don't put the Benedictine and in the end, I do the sweet vermouth in the end. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just me. It's like a little nod of the chapeau. This, this is the way it's, you do it. This I is tilt your... my beret, my <laughs> French beret doing that. And then I add my bitters, right? So this is in a mixing glass, a really good... Now, if you don't have a proper mixing glass, you really should buy one. It's a great thing to have for your home personal bar. But really, um, a glass pint um, beer glass would do. Just have it dedicated for that. You know, have it as, you know, don't keep swapping to drink beer out of it. You know, make it a dedicated glass and buy yourself a quality bar spoon because this is key. Perhaps some jiggers too. Ka-ching. <laughs> I guess we're all adding up a little bit more. But so in my mixing glass, I'm going to have my, con all, the, all the basics of my cocktail, right? Everything included into the glass without the garnish. Then I'm going to add ice. Now, this is an important factor. You know, we all have ice in our house. I don't know why, but at home we don't use enough ice. And it's the difference between professional bartending cocktail and a house-made cocktail. And, you know, you have to use a lot of ice. So I like to have at least two-thirds higher amount of ice to liquid value in the glass. This is very key to me. So if I'm using, like, you know, I call, we call it cloudy ice, just whatever comes out of your ice, that's fine. But I still crack some. Okay. Okay. Um, some of us have those silicone molds with the, you know, two-inch cubes. Those are great, too, but you have to crack some. You can't just use those, those two-inch cubes straight. And really, you shouldn't use your ice just straight. I'm not saying crushing it. Just tap it, like, cut, you know, whack them in half with your bar spoon. This is key because um, it'll fit into the glass better, and it's going to um, dilute and chill the cocktail properly. Don't just use straight ice. You know, take a little bit of effort. Um I like to do at least 30 rotations. You know, you're not agitating the glass. This is the, the stirred drink needs to be blended. 
You know, there's no agitation, there's no aeration. That's a shaking cocktail, a different build. So you just put your bar spoon against the edge of the glass and stir. I do clockwise rotations, like I said, 30 to 40 rotations. I'm looking for it to get properly chilled because that's really important and some dilution. You know, all of these spirits are lovely, drinking neat or on the rocks, but we're making a cocktail, so we need dilution, right? Especially for the bitters. You know, bitters are key, and you need to dilute them and the sweet vermouth. This is a critical aspect of this cocktail that needs to be diluted because it can overpower, even with all these grand spirits that we have, Mm -hmm. it could take over. So you just need to, like, bring it on down a little bit, so we're looking to get at least an ounce of water. That's what I like, you know, in stirring. And by cracking some ice, you're going to get that. Amazing. And then just strain it into uh, fresh glassware. Never use your used ice that you used to stir. That's just, you know, my God, we're civilized people, you know. (laughs) Use fresh ice (laughs) and uh, pour it into a glass with a fresh cube and then express um, a lemon twist. A lemon twist. Yeah, sometimes I alternate. Sometimes I want an orange twist. I'm really fond of orange oils. And um, they do, you know, just the difference between the two is so radical. It really depends, like, you know, are you feeling frisky or, you know, are you in a good, you know, if you're feeling frisky, go with the orange. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're feeling like, wow, I worked really hard and I need a treat, go with the lemon. Nice. Yeah. It's as simple as that. But yeah. And then just, you know, sit back, enjoy, put your phone down, take 15 minutes for yourself. You know, we work hard. This is a sipper. This is a sipper. Yeah. Have a glass of water too. Nice. What a wonderful drink. And yeah, just some some real great tips in there, especially the the cracking the ice. It's something I know I should be doing. I always worry about over dilution, but um, no, that's not that's not. No, it won't. I mean, you're, I'm not asking you to get a Lewis bag or a, or a tea towel <laughs> and smash in the head. You know, we're not making tiki here. Yeah. We just want a couple of cracked cubes, not a mm. tremendous amount for like a mixing glass. I would say maybe crack like three or mm-hmm. four. That's it. And if you were, so here's a question. I think we may have touched on this uh, in a previous episode, but I had this experience where I was at a bar recently um, and the bartender built the drinks. There were martinis that were stirred, obviously. Built the drinks, had the ice, and then had to go and do something. Someone came in, uh, they'd lost their bag the night before. This happens in bars. Sure. Um, And they left them there, but they hadn't agitated the, the, the mixture in the mixing glass at all yet. I... they were also using very good quality ice. I was worried that maybe, you know, we might have been getting an over dilution situation going there, but is, is, is that something we should be wary of? Or I'm imagining, say you're, for example, preparing an order of six stirred drinks at the bar and they're all different drinks. Can you start them chilling and you can leave them like that? Or is it best to just wait and add the ice when you're ready to stir? You know, I'm of a school where I I like to wait because I come from commercial establishments. And yes, things happen. Suddenly, like this guest is, I need to go right now. Can I close my check? And that's really important. I'm not going to, well, wait, I have to stir these six drinks, sir. Like, that's never going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) I'm closing them out. (laughs) So, um, thinking in that concept, I always have my eyes on the side. I I am very old school when it comes to that. Now, with these new cubes, these very large format, you mentioned it was large format, sitting there on the bar top, even for like, you know, four minutes, is it getting really over diluted? Probably not because the melting ratio on those is yeah. really slow, mm-hmm. but it's gar- darn tootin' getting cold. And I wonder if they took the effort to understand that the it was sitting there and only give it like two or three, like maybe five rotations at most. That's all I would do if caught in that situation. Yeah. I would barely stir them. Yeah, yeah. No, it definitely seemed there was there was a lot of intention behind the preparation. Even as I say, with this like slight hiccup of the yeah, of the bag situation, <laughs> uh, the, the guests themselves actually then seemed to think we were in the space next door. It was oh, it was all very strange. Ooh. This was a Sunday, so you know Saturday nights they can get like that sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, that's something I do fight. I mean, I'm only making probably two or three drinks at home, mm-hmm. you know, for for other people as well as myself. But I'm always thinking about that. You know, always trying to. Never over dilute. I do. And when I train bartenders too, like, you know, especially in shaking situations, because then Mm -hmm. it's really more important, even more. Not that stirring, you know, over dilution doesn't happen, but it's not as rapid as Mm -hmm. when you shake a cocktail, especially when we're using metal tins, which predominantly we have in most cocktail bars. I always have them have the ice in the separate of the two um, shaking vessels, you know, mm-hmm. because things happen and only put, you know, attach them together when you're when ready. You're ready to go. That's it. When you're ready to go and then do you're your locked thing, in. you're locked, you know, you're locked and loaded. Right. Yeah. So that's how I like to deal with that. And, you know, with the um, stirred cocktail, if I have it built in the glass, I might, you know, and I get distracted, 
you know, I'm going to wait. I yeah. am going to wait to add the ice if I can. You nice. know, in that situation, I think they did the right thing. But. Yeah, it came out well. It was a, yeah. it was a delicious But drink. it is kind of like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned something uh, earlier on here where we're talking about now split base. Now we know we're, we're, we're in the split base realm here. Split we know how to. <laughs> but I think that is, we, we've spoken a little bit about ratios too or, or, or recipes, but this is not a template that, has been too often kind of covered and or used as the base for modern classics, not in the same way that a no. Negroni has or, a, you know, a Old Fashioned or some of these other kind of wonderful shaken whiskey drinks. But yep. what do you think? Do you think we're missing a trick here? Is this something you've ever explored yourself when it comes to a riff on this on this cocktail? Well, let's face the reality that there's four, you know, grand ingredients in this cocktail. Four. Four spirits. You know, uh, I'm going to call for a the spirit for or, you know, purposes mm-hmm. here. And that's a lot, you know, that's really a little bit, you know, one too many, <laughs> some would say, you know? And um, so we need to, you know, understand, like once you make this cocktail and you have it and it's served properly and, and you know, created properly, it is a game changer. It's going to turn you out. I mean, I'm sorry to say that once you have a very cabaret, you probably can't look back yep. and you're just going to be seeking it like a unicorn um, everywhere. You know, where can I get this unicorn? And um, it's the reality of that. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, there's something about the blend mm-hmm. and how they all play just so well together. And it's just, it's a magnificent cocktail that's underappreciated. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know why, but it's great to be able to, um, there's so many riffs that you can do with it, which we'll probably get to in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I was thinking there, just when it comes to those riffs, right? Like, so you have that template of, and 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 I, another thing too here too, like three quarter ounces. So in my mind, I also think maybe this is an opportunity where you get to pull out some of those more expensive bottles too, if yeah. you are going into different categories, because it's only three quarters of an ounce. It's not two ounces. So that's right. You know, bring out the big guns. I, you know, here it is. You know, I'm of the school that. As in old fashions, it doesn't have to be bourbon or rye. It really should be, what's your favorite bottle that you have? You know, it could be your favorite single malt. Mm-hmm. You know, do have an old fashioned with it because you're going to take get flavor notes that you never experienced, whether it's, um, you know, neat or on the rocks. It's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. So with the Vieux Carré, you know, you could do riffs. I, I did one back in June. I called it the Middle Quarter Carré. And I made it with um, Appleton Estate 8-year-old rum. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do, because that rum drinks like a bourbon, you know, the yeah. Appleton p- portfolio in general. And some of these beautiful aged rums that are coming out of the Caribbean are delightful. And they very much are drinking like bourbons. And again, an unappreciated category. But people are starting to understand. And I'm not speaking about rum agricole. I'm, no. You know, because that's a separate category in itself with a little more salination talking, notes. Yeah. You know, we're just talking about aged rums. Molasses. <laughs> Molasses. Molasses-based. <clears throat> that's right. And it's just... um it's delightful. You know, they drink really great. So I happen to have an eight-year-old bottle, you know, the eight-year-old, which is really nice. But the regular brand label, you know, the, the less expensive one is equally yeah. magnificent. With that, I, I increased it to an ounce. Um, I felt like I needed it to stand up more because I was using um, 101 rye, mm-hmm. right, with the rum. So basically what I did was I substituted the rum for the cognac. Yep. So I swapped out the cognac for rum, for aged rum, and I still did my 10 milliliters of uh, the the Benedictine um, liqueur, but I did something a little bit different in that I sprayed the inside of my glass with yellow chartreuse. Ooh. So, you know, not absinthe, not, you know, and not green chartreuse, which is lovely, but I really like yellow chartreuse, again, an underutilized liqueur. And um, I like to put it in spray bottles and treat, or you could also do the old spin, you know, where you put like, a bar spoon worth and you coat the inside of the glass yep. and it will cling to the interior of the glass. And it's just um, a really, really nice thing because it's like a, an extra garnish, an extra flavor layer, mm-hmm. if you will, yeah. you know, because, <laughs> you know, we drink with our ears, our eyes and our nose before our mouth, you know, mm-hmm. our brains already decided kind of like if we're going to like this or not. <laughs> so when you nose this and, you know, it comes up because the yellow chartreuse has these beautiful, soft um, floral notes. And I felt like that really played well with the Benedictine. Mm-hmm. And did you keep the sweet vermouth in there? Sorry. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I have the sweet vermouth. I have the, um, the Benedictine. I have rye, but I simply substituted, um, you know, aged rum for cognac and increase the value just a little. Just to announce. Because it's not as, you know, the aged rums are very smooth. They're delightful. So they don't really like pack that punch a little bit. So right. I wanted, I needed just to up it just a little bit. I tried it at three quarters and it, it wasn't as bold as it needed to mm-hmm. be, you know. 
And then, yeah, so by spraying the inside of the glass with the um, Chartreuse is great. And I only use Peychaud's bitters and no Angostura mm-hmm. because the flavor notes for the Caribbean were already represented in the rum. There you go. Boom. Very nice. And it was delightful. And I did that with orange oils, you know, so I, I, I stirred that and served that um, on the rocks. But the, my point is that you can play with other spirits. You know, this is just a really good blueprint. Yeah. Vera Carré. Exactly. Opens up many doors. And, and and you would advise maybe just, yeah, like keeping the sweet vermouth, keeping the Benedictine, maybe playing around with the bitters, but mm-hmm. looking at those base, those two base spirits is the opportunities there for, for a bit of uh, experimentation. Yeah. You know, like your, your, your grand spirit, you know, whether it be corn, uh, molasses or rye based, you know, using that with the Benedictine, with sweet vermouth, you know, as well as, um, adding bitters you know is is just it's it's just key you, you mentioned know? calvados earlier we spoke about that i mean i, 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 I i'd love to see that work its way into this drink somehow i don't see why i couldn't because yeah. you know calvados and benedictine play really well together very mm-hmm. underutilized like why they didn't add calvados to the benedictine <laughs> instead of brandy is beyond me because i think that would have been a very popular yep. but you know c and b <laughs> yeah that would there we you go. know there we and go they, you know if they're listening <laughs> <laughs> Missed mission yeah <laughs> Amazing. Um, just, you mentioned cocktail, no, no you mentioned, uh, so just want to double check here. We're, we're, we are talking old fashioned style glass for yes. this. Yeah. Yeah. I like a double rocks, rocks glass, glass. Double rocks glass yeah. for this. Yeah. And a big cube or, or a little cube, you big, know, yeah. I, that, you know, that's up to you. Yeah. You know, what do you have handy? You know, then, you know, God bless that you have ice. Yeah. You know, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> just make sure it's on the rocks. Correct. Um, Mimi, any final thoughts on the, on the view car, you know, just, you know, embrace it, mm-hmm. you know, revisit this because it is just a magnificent cocktail that every time I have it with friends, especially industry friends, we're always like, wow, it knocks our socks off. And we're just like, why haven't we been drinking these? You know, mm-hmm. why aren't we ordering these? Why mm-hmm. aren't we making these? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm here, I'm here to uh, bang the bell for the Vier Carré. Let's <laughs> get on all, all aboard the Vier Carré streetcar. <laughs> or, or, or the, the carousel. Oh, and even better. <laughs> I like circles. Uh, Hotel Monteleone. I was reading, I don't know whether this continues to be true, but I was reading that that thing is powered by just a quarter horsepower. Imagine. I'm not sure how that works, but I've been on it. There's a, yeah. there's a, there's what, like 21 seats or something on there? Yeah. And it doesn't go very fast, which no, thank, it doesn't. Thank God. Thankfully, <laughs> yeah, I guess that could be a little tricky. <laughs> I think the I think the local tourism board though do claim that it's the it's the it's the drink itself that makes you dizzy and not the right, not, not the, the carousel. carousel. But maybe that's why they limited it to a quarter horsepower. <laughs> yeah, slow goes <laughs> better. <laughs> a wonderful wonderful place to enjoy a drink though. If you I have love it. not, yes, yeah. yes. I'm looking for. I'm going to Tales of the Cocktail coming up. Ooh, yeah. got my nice. plane ticket, got my hotel. Very nice. July in New Orleans. Such a pleasure. Whoa. What could be nicer? <laughs> Hotter than Hades. Real real nice refreshing time of the year to be down there. Indeed. <laughs> well, that's been wonderful. I mean, I, I've taken so much away from this just for mooth blends. And, yeah. you know, so many things that I now want to do as an enthusiast, little projects for me to work on here. And all thanks to the View Carré. Um, but let's let's now let's now dive into the next section of the show where where our listeners get to know get to know you a little bit more, Mimi, as a sure. as a, as a bartender, a drinks enthusiast, and and a, yeah, and a drinker. Yeah. So um, yeah, let's let's kick it off with question number one here. Okay. What style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? Ah, uh, okay. So that's precious space. I like double duty spirits. So I like um, spirits that I can count on. People might want them neat or on the rocks, but I can also use in cocktails. Um, I'm also very fond of liqueurs. So being that, you know, you can't have all the liqueurs. You kind of, you know, you have to be really clever about your back bar. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do really appreciate any bottle that gets on the back bar. I always have like multiple purposes for it. I feel that's only fair. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It needs to justify its place there. Yeah. It can't just be like a one-note Annie. No, no, Nobody no, likes no, her. No. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Benedictine, you're out. Right. <laughs> In my hip flask. <laughs> yeah. You're not making it. You're not making the final cut. I'm afraid. Um, question number two here: Which ingredient or tool is the most undervalued, in your opinion, in a bartender's arsenal? You know, I thought long and hard about this because you were like, you know, here's a question that may give you a pause, and you're right. 
Um, of course, tools are really essential to any bartender, right? If you don't have the right tools, and really in any work, you can't get the job done. I will say, when I had to start using a food-grade metal tweezers, that turned my world upside down because okay. suddenly now I can't touch garnishes without them. Interesting. Yeah. You're speaking to a skeptic over here, so sell it to oh, me. Okay. So for um, a particular proprietor, Chef Jose Andres at um, Little Spain, when I was opening team at Barcelona, we had these really cool, um, they gave them to us, the metal tweezers. So I was like, oh, you know, what's this, you know? So they were like, oh, you know, you have to touch all your garnishes, you know, you can't touch by hand. And I was like, well, that's, I like that, you know? Yeah. And these look really neat. You know, they're kind of cool. They have a little, little curve to them. So they're very friendly in the hand, and I got so used to using them that I now own like eight pairs, eight sets of food-grade tweezers. Wow. Yep. I take them with me everywhere. I can, you know, almost mm. like chopsticks. And yeah. They're like another appendage, yeah. you know, and I just can't touch um, garnishes anymore without them. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen like some of the fancier um, martini bars in London, per se, you know, there's a fella that does it with spoons where he twists like lemon twists with spoons, which is fascinating. Yeah. I can't do that, you know, lemon twist yet with like tweezers. I, so that was going to be my next question. Yeah. yeah. That's a skill set that I haven't um So practiced. how do you express a lemon twist with then? With my the, fingers. Yeah. Like old <laughs> but I, w I will use the tweezers to place it in the glass. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think also to... If this is a if this is a garnish that someone's going to eat, say it's an olive, then right. it really does make a lot of sense there. It just well. seems, and people like you know when they see that happening, I could see them relaxing. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm very you know I don't like I'm a food safety expert, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we all we, you know you just have to be have to be, and you know, not touching things is key. Yes, my hands are clean. Oh my mm -hmm. god, you know, I wash them. I can't even count how many times during a shift. It's incredible. But not touching these things is really nice, mm -hmm. you know. It just and I'm not saying prepackaged um, olives on a skewer. I'm not fond of that either. I think that's really gauche and no. terrible. You know, there's no effort made. It's like don't do that. But with your tweezers, you can hold the olive and spear, spear them. It. And you know they're not so wild and woolly. You know you got control. And these things fit in your aprons. They're yep. very flat. You know. So I'm a huge proponent of the food grade tweezers. Interesting. Okay. Boom. Okay. Add that to the shopping list for later. Boom. <laughs> Racking up a bit of a bill here. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? Be true to yourself. Be true to, absolutely true to who you are. Do not think for a minute that you should change your ethos or your business acumen or yourself, you know, to please someone else. If you want to, you know, get as much knowledge and education as you can. Yes, I still take classes all the time. Just got certified in Canadian whiskey. Congratulations. Thank you. That was a, that was a little tough. That was five weeks of yeah. intense. Yeah. yeah. That, was, that was a deep dive. I was a little surprised. Like, I went in there kind of like, no problem. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. So. <laughs> if I wanted to be harsh, I would have been like, yeah. How long did that take? A couple of hours? There are no rules. <laughs> five weeks. I was like, <laughs> brat. Yeah. You know, yeah. So i grateful. Um graduate of that but really you know do seek education but be true to yourself you know you are the only person that will look in the mirror and see who you are and it's going to be reflective in how you come across to people too and this is you know it breaks my heart when i see people trying to change for whatever owner or establishment you know it's it's very shallow and you don't realize maybe you don't because you're in it but i can't implore you know bartenders or people in general enough just to be true to themselves march the beat of your drum mm -hmm. because i can assure you it's beautiful music nice yeah a very nice way of putting it right there penultimate question here <laughs> if you could only visit one last bar in your life what would it be well, there'd be a tear in my eye. So I would go to um, the bar where all my friends would be. I'm very, you know, if you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> I like to laugh and have a good time. <laughs> and I have lots of friends. So I would go to, um, you know, bars always change and stuff. But really, it's about, like, who are you with? You know, in the yep. end, it's the shared experience. So it would, it would have to be a bar where all my friends are. Nice. Just enjoying the company. Yeah. Yeah. Well, That's good back a couple. Yeah. Or 10. Absolutely. <laughs> if it's my last visit. <laughs> no risk of being barred after that. 86. <laughs> kidding, kidding. Final question for you today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? Ooh. 
Okay, so you know this changes too. I'm I'm a kook because I realize that um, a I'm a social drinker. I enjoy drinking with people. Um, not at home. COVID COVID lockdown taught me that. And B I'm seasonal. Change. I live in a four season environment in New York. Yep. So you know what I'm drinking in the winter is not what I'm drinking in spring, let alone summer. But I would probably say one of the cocktails that stands throughout is um, gin martinis. Yeah. But I'm very very specific about it. Like I'm I'm probably a pain in the ass to whatever bartender <laughs> I go to. I'm like, may I please have a martini and dot dot dot. You know, I need it this 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 that way. Tell me tell me the and I gotta know. Oh okay, so it has to be bracingly cold. I like softer gins. Um, I really, you know, like um, London Dry Gin, right, for a martini. I also like a split base. Oh, there's oh. that word again, a vermouth. <laughs> You're splitting the vermouth. I'm splitting, yeah, again, you know, I come back to where I am with, um, you know, a combination of flavors. I just really like it. And not every bar is going to have, you know, multiple brands of dry vermouth. But yep. if this is my last drink. It is. Okay, so then therefore they're going to have exactly what I want. So it would be a combination of um, the Blanc de Blanc and extra dry. Because the Blanc de Blanc is a little too floral, but I really enjoy it. But the extra dry can be fun. But, you know, those two together, it's magnificent. Wow. So it would just be like, you know, a third of the value to two-thirds gin. You know, crazy cold. And I also like a little pinch of salt. Mm -hmm. You know, not dirty. Don't give me that broth. No. Godforsaken. I don't know. (laughs) I shouldn't say that because guests ask for it all the time. I'm like, it's delightful. So, um, yeah. (laughs) But really, you know, that's why, yeah, just a little pinch of salt, you know, just for a little flavor component to really to help the vermouth at that point. And um, expressed uh, lemon oil. So I'm not even, I don't even need an olive. Express and discard or are you seeing that in there? I could see it in there. Depends how it's cut. Okay. (laughs) Again, (laughs) that bartender loves me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) I I love it. Um, You know, I love a very specific martini order. I have one myself. And and what's yours? It changes. Yeah, yeah. It does. It does change. But at the moment, probably I would say for the last eighteen months. um, And people might call me a bit of a philistine here, but I'm down a seven to one ratio at the moment. It's where where I find my sweet spot at the moment. How bold! I hate. I don't hate, I don't like the 50-50 martini. I don't yeah. like this this trend that we're seeing where people think that they are holier than thou just because they're upping it. And they're like, you know what? You can also use sherry. Like, great. I love sherry in a martini. Don't get me wrong. I love that right. variation. But-, but when I'm having my martini, I'm seven to one at the moment. Um, I, will, I will go for uh, a classic London dry style mm-hmm. uh, for the gin, uh, dry vermouth, um, lemon and yeah, these days I am going towards lemon and discard. Oh, look at you! At the moment, just at the moment, you're getting real radical. <laughs> look at you, Tim, living on the edge, just like yeah. chucking it in the gutter. And <laughs> speaking of the gutter, I'll be honest, you know. So to make my life easier, I do have these like almost six ounce cocktail glasses. So I'm not hitting that three. We're not talking three ounces. It's a little bit more than that. Again, right. this I'm a home bartender, so I'm allowed to break those rules. Yeah. Um, I like the little pop, you know, a tremendous disservice happened when somebody designed these martini glasses in the seventies that are like, you know, 200 ounces. Okay. That's a gross exaggeration, but you get my point. Yeah. You know, martinis were meant to be like little pops. Like it it was in a pitcher. It was a glass pitcher on Mm -hmm. purpose because, um, you're only supposed to have like, you know, two ounce pop, Uh, you know? Yeah, but I like know. to sip a martini if it's not getting yeah if, if it's not too it hot and warm. also like uh, another thing just if we're getting into this, I would never drink a martini outdoors. Oh, see, I don't care. I don't care on the setting. I don't care if I'm in the nicest square in the oldest city in Europe and I've got shade and I've got AC. No, a martini is an indoor drink unless it's like you know twenty degrees out because then that's perfect weather for a martini. I mean, I was doing that in the pandemic when we were at that stage. Just I was saying. I was pitched up outside Long Island Bar, and I tell you, it was a tough one to drink. It was delicious, but it is hard. It's kind of like drinking it in a walk-in. Would we do that either? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. but I think there are these there are these uh, unofficial rules. And we were speaking earlier. Maybe maybe someone who's listening will be able to get in touch with us about this. But I would like to get some special, not just uh, business cards made where it's uh, you know that you can hand out with that order on there. But I'm thinking maybe getting one in metal or solid silver with that etched on might be tough because the martini order does change but oops yeah well there's a dedication yeah 
if you're stuck with your seven to one. But would you feel, would you feel, if, if a guest handed uh, their drinks order printed on a business card to you, would you feel offended as a, as a bartender? Or? It's delightful. Yeah. I think it's one of the best things I have had, you know, guests in the past do that regulars and they became regulars because I admired and respected it. And it just makes things simpler. You mm -hmm. know, it's so much easy. Any bartender that gets offended by that, you mm -hmm. probably need to change careers. Mm -hmm. This is not for you. Yeah. It's all about yeah, you know, exactly. being a hospitality professional. You know, it's not your party. You mm -hmm. are providing, you mm -hmm. know, the party tools. So, you know, let's remember that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're you're there to um to create an environment, mm -hmm. a safe environment if you will. And, uh, by in doing so, you know, it's not all about you. Yeah. It's, it's about the guest. The, exactly. It's all about the guest. So whatever makes them happy. And if that makes them happy, it's, it's makes my job a hill of beans easier. Yeah. I know exactly what they want. So the drink doesn't come back five times. Like, exactly. thank you. You know, can I get more and of these so guests? They get it how they want it. Yeah. Because, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I just say, you know, I have a concept of what they want, but not really. If you really, if you're like us, you know, yeah. And you really want your one specific drink to be a specific way. Why not? Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So I'm down. Amazing. Well, Mimi, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. Thank it's been you. a blast. This is lovely. And uh, maybe we'll see each other in New Orleans. Who knows? I think so. Hopefully. I'll see you on the carousel. Yeah, on the car Yes, yes. Please, <laughs> please buy your tickets. Yes. Um, also, if you want to find me on Instagram, mm -hmm. um, you can always uh, find me at Smart Olive NYC. If you have any questions, I can you always shoot me a DM. I'll get back to you. Nice. You know, or just be like there you with know. the with the hot takes and the and the wonderful advice. Indeed, I'm always here for you. You know, hospitality professionals as we are. Thank you, Mimi. Thank you so much, Tim. This has been delightful. Cheers. Cheers. Okay. That was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of VinePair's Cocktail College is also published on vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, VinePair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at VinePair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. <laughs>